Hello and welcome to Feed, Play, Love and to this episode of Helpline where you get to ask your questions of an expert and that expert tonight is Mothercraft nurse Chris Minogue. Chris has had over 30 years experience helping families uh, with their babies, toddlers, mixture of both. Chris just popped up on the screen and looked very surprised to be here. <laughs> but you <laughs> but Chris is here she's here to answer your questions so please make sure if you're joining us live on Facebook you pop your questions below this video and we'll get to the questions we'll go through them the other way you can ask your question is uh, through our helpline group on Facebook you can post your questions there and if you're listening to us via the podcast you can email us at helpline at theparentbrand.com.au hello Chris Hi. How are you? Very well, thanks. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I think we're all starting to feel a little bit or we're, we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, do you think? Yeah, we yeah, are getting there. Lockdown. And hopefully um, parents who, I mean, as we've said throughout this whole lockdown, babies in particular don't really give a stuff whether they're in lockdown or not. They're going to they're gonna have their challenges. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that is a good thing. Uh, but also it might be a bit testing for parents. So um, yeah. hopefully we can provide, or I should say Chris can provide some light at the end of the tunnel for you two tonight. Hope so. Yes. Well, let's start with a question from Larissa. Yep. He says, my three-year-old is really testing all the boundaries lately and I'm at the end of my tether. When I say no, she looks me dead in the eye and goes and does it anyway, as though she simply refuses to accept my answer. When I put her lunch or dinner in front of her, she refuses to stay at the table and wanders around the house as she chews each mouthful, coming back to her plate when she wants more. When her dad and I admonish or try to coax her back to her chair, she hides behind the couch and pretends she can't hear us. My husband and I don't want to physically intervene, such as picking her up and placing her back in her seat. We've tried it and she just explodes into tantrums and things get 10 times worse. We also don't use any form of physical punishment, such as smacking. Getting her strapped into her car seat is the worst part of our day. Oh, we've been there. We've been there. She really hates it and throws a tantrum every time. She goes to daycare twice a week and her carers have mentioned this kind of defiant behavior also. I'm starting to wonder if these behaviors might even be a sign of a sensory disorder or something like autism. We are so frustrated and lost. What can we do? Well, I think the first thing is uh, we could reassure you that it's not autism. It's living with a toddler, (laughs) living with a toddler. And at some point in a toddler's life, that age between two and four, they're going to push the boundaries and they're going to push the boundaries until we give them a bit more guidance on what's going on. And I think what's happening here is she's your first child, you haven't really dealt with this sort of defiant behaviour, she's trying to find her space in that family. And so what you're going to do is just meet her a little bit with it. So the first thing I tell parents is work out what matters, what behaviours actually matter to you and what can you let go of. But the one that I never argue about is food. So I think the first thing is, are you offering her food in a reasonable time frame? So has she been snacking all afternoon and now you wanted to sit down for a meal? Well, she's not likely to do that. 
So the first thing I do with the happy wandering child that's not really playing the rules that you've described in terms of the feeding is I only really give them three meals a day, which is all they actually need. We've turned into a society of, you know, grab and snack, but actually just give her three meals a day, seven o'clock-ish, midday-ish, five o'clock-ish, okay? And see if that helps her behaviour for sitting down, sitting down with her, which you're trying to do. And then she doesn't do that. She wants to get off the chair. She wants to walk around. So meet her at her own game. So gently say to her, we're going to have dinner now. We need you to sit at the table. You need to come to the table. I don't think you need to be physical with a child either. I don't think that way really exists now. But in the same respect, I don't think we should keep going after them, behind them with little bits of food. So I do a gentle reminder. It's dinner time, we're sitting down for dinner. Then a gentle warning. If we don't sit down for dinner, then the dinner will go away. And then I follow through. So you're not sitting down. So I'm taking your dinner away. Now people will throw their hands in the air. Their child's gonna die of starvation fairly soon thereafter. But no, <laughs> I won't. And, and it might be that she doesn't understand that no means no, because it might be used too often. Come over here go over there. The second one that's really common is the one that you spoke about also, which is the car seat one. And that one, I give her a little bit more time, a little bit more warning. So we know she wants to do independent things. So let's go to the car 10 minutes before so she can get up into the car seat. So that's a win for her. Everything doesn't have to be on our terms. And we need to think about it a little bit more. So that car one, I know they want to put their seat belts on. I know they want to climb into the car seat. So let her win that one. So let's get there at 10 minutes earlier. Let's say, I know you want to get in the car. Mummy will open the door and help you into the car seat. But really, she's trying to climb in there. I still don't let her go into the front of the car. You know, don't let him escape into the front. Um, and then let her sit on the car seat and say, put your arms in, but you need to buckle. And that's going to get take another extra 10 minutes. So some things you need to be quite firm on just with a very gentle sort of consequence. We've asked you, we've warned you, and now we're following through. And other things we need to give her much more time to go through the process of being able to achieve it. So the first thing I want to reassure you is that every single child does this, okay? And the, some kids do it earlier on and later on. And what she's trying to do is where do those boundaries fit? And so hopefully that type of guidance might help you through this next six months by the sounds of it. Mm. The next question comes from Angela on our Facebook Live. She says, how can I get my two-and-a-half-year-old boy to stop biting, hitting and punching oh. for any reason? So I guess he just does it all the time. Randomly, all the mm. time. Um, the first thing I'd be trying to work out is in what instance does he do it? Like, does he quite literally do it all the time? Because if he does, the first thing I'd be thinking is, is he quite tired? Is he not sleeping as well as he might need to? And he's lashing out through frustration and tiredness. So the first thing is, is he sleeping well? So he's two and a half. So is he sleeping, you know, a good 11 hours at night and, and maybe a day sleep, even if it's only 40 minutes or an hour at two and a half? The second thing is, is it language related? So, you know, maybe if his language isn't quite there, he's using 
those aggressive behaviours as a form of language. So, um, you know, can he articulate what he might need, even if it's in simple words and a couple of words? So that'd be my second tick box. And if you've ticked both of those and he's still doing it, I think in this case, you have to be aware that he does it. So for instance, if you've asked him to come to you, he won't come and you go to him, then maybe I go from behind to get him because I know he's gonna kick or maybe even try and bite me. So if I go from behind, then it's going to um, allow him not to be able to do that. So I think um, if it's happening at home, then he's pushing boundaries. I think if it's happening socially, then we need to look more at why that's happening. But it usually falls in those other two categories. Is he tired or um, has he not had enough sleep? So have a look at those areas and that might help you out. Good luck, Angela. This question comes from Candice. She says, hi, guys. Can you recommend how often we should be bathing our four-week-old baby? When we brought her home, we were told about that a bath every few days was fine, but we're not sure how long that should go for. When should daily bathing begin? So I know that this really differs from person to person, but I would do um, a bath every couple of days until they're about three or four weeks old. And then when they get to about four weeks old or and the weather's getting warmer, then I like to give them a bath in the evening just so they can stretch their body out, really relax. It's quite soothing, a nice deep water bath um, that the hospital might have taught you about. And it becomes eventually part of that evening routine. But that doesn't really set in until they're more between six and nine weeks um, as a way of sort of anchoring their day and moving through to the night. So any time in the next couple of weeks as you feel more confident with the baby, um, I'd probably introduce the idea of bathing every night. Amira, oh, sorry, Natalie on Facebook Live says, how do you successfully limit screen time? My toddler, who's two and a half years, wants to watch videos all the time on the phone or iPad, if she could. I try to limit my time on my own phone in front of her. Any tips? I think you're doing the right thing by limiting what you're doing as well, because I think lots of toddlers are mimicking you know, what they see. So a parent's saying, no, you can't have the phone and yet they're on the phone. So that doesn't make sense to the toddler. So I think you're doing the right thing by limiting what she sees. And I think this is one of those arts of distraction. So when she might be whinging about the phone or the iPad is distracting her into some play in another way, whether you set up play and play with her for a few minutes and then let her go through and play a bit more. Um, a lot of people, when they get stuck in this position, they just exit. There is no screen time at all. And they do that for a good couple of months and then they can reintroduce it quite easily at that point when needed. Um, so in this case, I think by mimicking the behaviour you want her to do by being off your phone or your screens really helps her to understand it. And then I would use distraction and play when she gets into that moment where she really wants the screen to calm her down. So mm. And Nat, if, it, if it's any um, help at all, there are apps that are appropriate for two and a half year olds. So if you're worried about watching videos all the time, there are games, um, Dr. Kate Highfield, who I think is with Early Learning Australia now, used to come on Fee Play Love and give us advice on uh, educational apps. So she wouldn't think you she wouldn't want you to have your kid on a screen all the time either. But she always had a really great, a set yeah, there's of some 
fantastic apps for them. Yeah, uh, exactly. Especially, you know, like um, the number apps, apps and, and creative play apps. But it's a difference between trying to teach her that that's an appropriate time versus her screaming for that. You know, it's getting, but you're right, they need to have age appropriate things that they're watching. I think it's more the actual physical screen at that two and a half. They want to flick through the photos a lot. They're like, you know, how to know how to open your phone. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, it has to be age appropriate what they're watching or what mm -hmm. they're doing. Yeah. The next question comes from Amira. She says, hi, ladies, hoping you can help with my 18-month-old little climber. Since he started walking at 11 months of age, my boy just adores climbing everything he can. It started when he realised he could climb up onto the back of our couch. We discovered him sitting up there when we thought he was quietly watching the TV. He's super quick too. Our backs are only ever turned for a minute or two, but we've caught him standing on the table, climbing halfway up our tall bookshelf, and he happily sprints to the top of every slippery slide we come across at the, play, at the park or playground. But I have to watch him so carefully because he'll just stand at the top. Mm. He toppled a kitchen stool over onto himself last week, but that hasn't stopped him. This kid has no fear. At this age, simply telling him not to climb things just isn't sinking in. And I'm constantly terrified he'll get hurt or figure out how to climb out of his cot any minute now. Is there anything we can do to curb this behaviour? Not really, but I have to give you some reassurance <laughs> yeah. that very few climbers actually have accidents because they're very good at what they do. You know, they know how to scale things. I think it's about looking in the space that he's in and making sure that space is safe for him. So climbing up and sitting on the back of the couch, I think every child does that at some stage. And it's also about the way we um, address it. So if you come into the room and he's sitting on the couch and you go, oh my God, what are you doing on the couch? You'll think, wow, that's a good reaction. Whereas I'd probably just go up and sit on the couch and say, can you show me how you can put your feet on the couch and then your feet on the floor? So taking that skill of him being able to move his body really well and get him to be get down off something. So for instance, we use words like, can you um, put your bottom on the chair if you stand in a, on a chair? Can you put your bottom on your chair? Show mummy how you put your bottom on your chair. And then he's getting down safely. If he's going up the side of a staircase, which is another common frightening version of it, then I do things like, um, can you show me how you go backwards and hold the rail? So we're showing them how to get out of it. I think the biggest safety type um, area is bookshelves. Like if he's going to scale the bookshelf, uh, can we move that bookshelf out of that area or can we anchor it to a wall so it's safe for him to do that? But lots of kids climb and they're, you know, they're quite agile. And I think it is just looking at them and, and actually seeing if they are unsafe. If he's standing in the middle of the table and he got up there safely, he can probably get down safely because that's the type of child he is. Climbing out of the cot, again, a lot of them pivot and go to slide down the rails. Um, but putting a sleeping bag on so he can't get his leg over the railing definitely helps that one and has slowed them down a little bit. So I think I'd embrace it and show him how to do things safely. And then I think you'll find in time he'll just stop doing it. So look around the room he's playing in, make sure that room is safe and secure, and then let him be a little bit adventurous and use different language to help him get down from things so he doesn't see it as a, oh, you're going to hurt yourself. 
And I think you'll find he'll just slow down and stop doing it in a while. The next question comes from Jade. She says, hi, Helpline team. I'd love some advice to gently wean our nearly three-year-old off co-sleeping and coax him back into his own cot or bed. Our little one started life quite ill with reflux and milk allergy issues. And over his life so far, it's been one doctor or hospital visit after another. This has thankfully settled down in the past six months as we've gotten his diet and allergy issues under control. In this time, my husband and I have fallen into the habit of co-sleeping with him in our bed, which was fine for both of us overall, even though it was hard sometimes. We were happy to keep him close. Now that things have started to settle down with our son's health, we'd like to start moving towards having our bed back, but we're not sure where to start. He's very small for his age and could definitely still fit in the cot. But at this age, should we go straight for the bed? We also don't want to take a cold turkey approach and simply start forcing him to sleep alone. We feel that would be cruel. So how do we get? How do we do this gradually and gently? Any tips would be greatly appreciated. Um, I think I think it's a great question because a lot of people, whether their child's ill, they might fall into this situation where they've got a you know three-year-old or a four-year-old in their bed with them. And usually what I would do, because he's had no experience in a room on his own or very little experience of a room, of in a room on his own, I'd take the approach of just getting him to sleep more independently of you. So making a bed up, even with a little toddler bed, making a bed up in your room and getting him to sleep in that bed in your room. So it can be up against the side of your bed and little toddler beds would probably fit into, um, you know, your bedroom. So I wouldn't put him back in the cot. I think just age-wise, he doesn't need to be in a cot. So a nice little toddler bed, which is quite small, might work for him and it might make him still feel cosy like he's been in your bed. So you might find you might have to have him in your room for a little while, like three or four months. And then from there, I'd put that toddler bed into the bedroom you want him to sleep in, but I might put a mattress on the floor. And so someone independently sleeps in that room with him so you can interject those nights until he's comfortable in that room before you then would start the process of maybe being able to put him to sleep and then leaving the room and then coming back later for comfort and then growing on that until you get into a stage where he's independently sleeping on his own. So I think this is about time and patience and about tiny little steps of helping him to become independent because he has no, no memory of being independent in terms of where he sleeps. So take it slowly. I'd introduce it as a toddler bed. I put it in your room. That might take you a couple of months. Then into his room with a spare bed in the room that you might lie in. or And make sure you take turns with your partner in your room and then grow from there to a more independent sleep pattern. Esther says, hi there. I'm due with my second baby in 10 weeks and I'd love any tips you might have for helping our two and a half year old adjust to her new baby sibling when they arrive. Our apartment is very small, so the kids will have to share a room eventually. We plan to sleep baby in a bassinet in our room at first, but at what age would you recommend we move Bub into the bigger uh, to a bigger cot in his big his or her big sister's room and should we get the cot set up now and have it ready or introduce it when the bub arrives arrives other than the bedroom thing we'd also love any other little tips you might be able to share with us to help make this as smooth as possible when bub comes home 
Okay, Esther. So this is a really common question that I get about how you introduce another baby into the family. And it's really difficult because in these times that we're in with these COVID restrictions, each hospital might have a different approach. And, you know, presently in the hospital that I work in, we don't have siblings in the hospital. So we start this language well beforehand. And this little one's two and a half, is it, Chev? Yep. So the, the thing I sort of to start the whole process is in the weeks leading up to the baby, I do some visual things like put that bassinet up in your room. I wouldn't put the cot in her room because you probably need the space at the moment. So, and she's a bit young to understand that. And she might feel a little overwhelmed if there was a bassinet in mummy's room and a cot in our room, in their room. And so I just put the bassinet up. I changed the car seats around. So sometimes you have to maybe move her into a big girl's car seat or maybe move positionings depending on what you're going to put the baby in. So I've done a physical thing there. The second thing um, I do is if she's old enough and she may be old enough, I do a little calendar of your stay in hospital. So if you have a normal delivery, it might be a four-day stay. So I just do four little boxes. And what might happen on those four boxes? Like it might be a picture of her and grandma together. And then the last box is a picture of um, a mum with a baby coming home. And she can just tick that box off. Um, if you're in hospital and she can't come in to see you, we advise that your partner go home if they can. Um, go home and make sure they do dinner, bath and bed every night just to sort of bring her into this oh it's okay daddy's come home it's pretty difficult if both of you leave if if the partner's staying in the hospital with you and then you both appear with a newborn baby so those little things might help you in the pre um leading into the baby don't over talk it don't keep telling her she's going to be a big sister because maybe she's not going to be a good big sister. Maybe she's going to find that difficult. So just say that there's a baby coming and ask, answer any questions she has, but don't go on and on about this baby coming because it's like saying that Santa's coming in, in August and Santa doesn't come until December. <laughs> so when we get there and the baby comes home, we're going to assume that we're in the time that we are, um, but it, we might have more freedom. But um, if she comes to the hospital, we literally just, it's one big happy family. None of this segregation and the baby has to be over there and the princess is coming through the door. We're just one big happy family. So if you're cuddling that baby, ask her to come up and see the baby. She's sitting with you. Let her touch the baby around the feet is a good area to lead for. Um, and let her examine the baby. They keep talking about this baby. Let her see the baby. If you're feeding, explain it to her. Thummy's feeding now. And when I finish the feed, I'm going to give you a cuddle. So don't try and segregate it into this special thing. Try and make it we are a family from the beginning. And I think you'll be amazed at how well she does in that sort of initial period. Most children, most toddlers do very well with a newborn baby. Um, it's usually about six weeks down the track that they might get a bit agitated about the new baby being in there. And the most common time that you'll be able to put them together is when that baby is sleeping about eight hours overnight, when they're sort of down to one feed overnight. So somewhere between four and six months, you should be able to put the two of them together. Our next question comes from Rhiannon on the Facebook Live. She says, I want to thank Chris for her advice a few weeks back in relation to my three-and-a-half-year-old struggling with lockdown. We, have, we had some improvement. This was helped with parks opening again and him being able to have a play with his best friend thanks to Melbourne's new double-vax rule. 
I'm hoping to get some suggestions on fixing his sleep. He was an amazing sleeper, moved to a big boy bed at age three. He was waking early before his sister was born and I was so pregnant, I just left him in my bed. I did something similar. <laughs> I totally relate to that. After she was born in April, I started taking him back to his bed. I got him a grow clock so he can come, he can come after 6.30 and this has worked well. Two months ago, he had a stomach bug and was sick every hour. And I stayed with him the whole night and then the multiple night wakings started. But since lockdown, it's worse with multiple wakings and he gets extremely emotional, including crying. I started by saying he could get into my bed for a cuddle and then I'd take him back to his bed or I would tell him to get into his bed and then cuddle me. Last night I did this, gave him a kiss and told him I'd see him in the morning. As soon as the door was closed, he was screaming and crying. He tells me I ran away. We don't want to do anything too ex extreme with his sleep until we get back on routine, but want to reduce the amount of waking as I'm exhausted. I totally see that. <laughs> I would yeah. be exhausted too. Lucky my five-month-old is only waking once a night. We also use Kindling's bedtime explorers, and last night I put it back on at his waking. Bedtime is 7 to 7.30 p.m., depending on how busy his day was or how tired he is acting in the afternoon. Any suggestions to help? Daycare should be back in about four weeks. I'd probably, because this is so chaotic at the moment, I'd probably use a little bit of what I was speaking about with that little boy, uh, sorry, the little girl with the um, multiple wake-ups that had been with mum and dad. So what I do here, Rihanna, instead of fighting him on it, I just put him to bed in his room because this, this child has been going to bed. So I'd put him to bed in his room. When he wakes up the first time and he walks into you, I'd just put a pillow and a blanket on the floor and say, you can stay in here with mummy, but you have to sleep down there on the pillow and the blanket with the pillow and the blanket on the floor. So usually when you don't argue with them and you make a bed on the floor, albeit not the most comfortable bed in the floor, usually you will find that when you start walking them back to their bed, they much prefer their bed. So for about a week to 10 days, I just put a pillow and a blanket on the floor and say, yeah, you can come, but you, can, you need to sleep down there on the floor. And then after about a week to 10 days, I'd say, let mummy take you back to your bed. And so I'd take him back to his bed then. So he's used to that. And then I'd say, I'll take you back to your bed. I'm going to leave the door open and your room and my room. And I'm going to put the bathroom light on. Okay, so I'm giving him a lot of reassurance that we haven't gone anywhere. And then I think it'll just naturally form into the, the, the way that you can put him into his bed, leave his door open a little bit, the hall light or the bathroom light on, not a lot of bright light, but a little bit of light, and tell him you're going to leave your door open and see if you can nudge him into staying in his bed overnight. But that's sort of how I would progress it in the right, in the right way. And hopefully, hopefully everything will return yeah. to normal soon normal. enough. Yeah. You must be very tired. I feel for you, Rhiannon. Yeah. Um, we've probably got, we've got what, time for one more question. This is from Claire on our Facebook Live. She says, hi, Chris. We have a nearly four-year-old four-year-old who will wear undies without issues or accidents when at home, but refuses to wear undies to childcare. He attends five days. We have tried bribing and positive rewards with no success. How do we help him with this? Uh, this one's interesting because how does he get to daycare? Like how do we get 
if he's happy to put underwear on, how does he get to daycare or try and get to daycare without the underwear on, if that makes sense? So at what point does he want the nappy on before you go to daycare? Because I think that's the crutch of the problem there. So um, I think the thing that I would probably do in this case is one, work out how that happens. Like I'd get him up in the morning and I'd put underwear on him. So I'm assuming he doesn't wear a nappy at night because he's four and a half, but he might do. But I'd put underwear, clean underwear on him. And then I would not talk about going to daycare. I'd just sort of make it happen. Like his bag's packed, we're going out the door, it's a daycare day. Because I'm trying to work out where, Claire, if you're there, he needs to have the nappy on to go to daycare. So that's one thing is what, what happens in that transition between those two things. The other thing you can try is you get 10 nappies and you put them beside his bed and you say, when those 10 nappies are gone, we're not having nappies anymore. So we've sort of given him a little bit of leeway to see how he copes with it. And 10 nappies is a lot actually for a four and a half year old, but this is how I would do it. And, and then as those nappies, I'm not talking about it, they're just disappearing. And then after that, we're only wearing underwear. And I think you'd have to go slowly and just say, well, I'm happy to sit here with you until you put the underwear on to go to daycare. But I'm trying to work out how the underwear, uh, how the nappy gets on. So Claire, if you can let me know that little bit, it might help me give you a bit of an understanding on how not to get the underwear on him, if that makes sense. Not I don't know how much him. difference it makes, but he's not actually four and a half, he's nearly four. Yeah, but he's still four. Like mm. he shouldn't shouldn't be in a nappy unless there's an, an issue around it. He shouldn't be in a nappy. So I don't know whether he's having a big tantrum and then the nappy goes on to stop the tantrum, whereas I just give that time and patience and sit calmly with him and say, you know, I'm just going to sit here until we're ready to get in the car and, and make all those steps with him. So that mm. I, I think we need to know where that relationship is. Did he wear a nappy overnight and he just hasn't taken it off? Uh, she actually has got back to us and oh, says, um, thanks. He, he straight out refuses in the morning of daycare to put the undies on, goes and gets a nappy out. So I guess because he does it, he's going five days to daycare. Yep. So um, he must know. Every Bless day. Him. He knows I, when he's I'd going. I'd get rid of the nappies. I'd just get rid of the nappies then. Throw them out, have a nappy burning. Yeah, <laughs> no, don't have a I'd nappy. get rid of the nappies. <laughs> I'd do the 10 nappies and say, after that, there are no more nappies. This is assuming that, you know, if he's four, then he should be able to go through the night. I know some don't always go through the night without wetting the bed, but I'd actually give it a go. I'd just say there's no more nappies and see what happens. The first day could be really bad. You may not get to daycare. So you've got to have time and patience for this one. But I think it's a security thing. And the other interesting thing is why daycare aren't maybe helping him take it off once he gets there. So engage them and see if they can maybe somewhere in that morning get that nappy off him to put underwear on him and see if that might also help as well. But there's something going on in that little brain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris, we've run out of time. Thank you so oh. much for all your help tonight. Pleasure. Pleasure. Uh, and uh, if you had a question that you wanted to ask Chris but didn't get the opportunity, you can book a one-on-one -on -one session with her through Babyology's Parent School. There'll be links underneath this video and also in the notes of this podcast. 
we will be back next week with another expert answering your questions. See you then. Bye. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.